This morning's reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we are in the midst of a year-long series we've been calling Open Book, where we've been opening the book each week together and journeying from the Old Testament through the New Testament. We've also been encouraging you to open the book more on your own in groups and by yourself. as you came in today, you got the Sunday handout that has some notes for you. Today it's a little different. It's not fill in the blanks. It's just three questions that I want you to think about and take some notes as we work our way through this text and its implications for us. And we've found ourselves now in the New Testament, in the story of Jesus, and in these first weeks of the new year, we are specifically tracking the healing and miracle stories of Jesus. Mark is slowly revealing the character and identity of Jesus, who we sort of take for granted is God in human flesh. That's kind of not big news to us. But for Mark's first audience, this would have been a major revelation. And this morning we see a miracle that gives further evidence of Jesus' claim that he is indeed God in human flesh. As Jesus enters into the synagogue, a common practice on the day of Sabbath, the holy day set aside for rest, set aside for spending time with God, and Jesus heals someone. And this act is so provocative that it is this act that sets off the Pharisees on their journey to kill Jesus. I want you to think about that. It's kind of a startling thing that this Sabbath keeping and Jesus' apparent Sabbath breaking was such a big deal that it is this act of Jesus that starts the Pharisees deciding this man not only must be stopped, this man ought to be killed. It's kind of like if you went to Chick-fil-A and you found them open and you said, this is an outrage on a Sunday, you know? That's the closest thing in our life that we have to this. We don't have a lot of sense of what a Sabbath was really like, what this special day set aside for the Lord really meant, other than you can't get a spicy chicken sandwich when you want one after church, right? By the way, I have friends who are pastors in another part of the country, and they had a special day where they got into a Chick-fil-A on a Sunday afternoon. So it does occasionally happen, but nobody plotted to put, you know, the Cathy's to death. But this is what happens with Jesus and why. Well, we need to examine what was happening in the moment, in the time of Jesus, especially as it concerns this practice of Sabbath. And so I want to start thinking about that second question you have on your page. This question of, well, what is the Sabbath really about? What is its purpose? What is its meaning? The Sabbath was instituted not by people, but by God himself. You'll find a command to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy in the Ten Commandments. It's that big of a deal. It reflects a moment in creation where after six days of working hard to create all that is, on the seventh day the scripture said that God rested. And so on the seventh day, the Israelites, the people of God, the Jewish people enter into God's rest. 
This was a special practice given to the people of God to remind them of the covenant between themselves and God. Every time that they kept the Sabbath, they were remembering the promises that they had made to God and that God had made to them. If you've been here with us throughout the Old Testament journey of open book, you found that that covenant got broken over and over and over again, but only on one end of the equation. Humans constantly were breaking their end of the covenant. They were constantly forgetting the commitments and the promises they had made to God. But God was always faithful and always true. The Sabbath moment in each week was designed to remind the people of those promises and to call them again to covenant relationship with God. It was also meant to remind the people that God would provide for all of their needs. God said to them, on six days you work and you labor. On six days you grow your crops and you gather your food and your resources. But on the seventh day you rest. And you don't just kick your legs up and rest. You literally do nothing on this seventh day, on this Sabbath day. And so people had to get all the things that they would need for that special Sabbath day during the other six days of the week. When God was leading the Israelites through the desert and he was raining down manna for them, he even provided for them on that special holy day. It is a day to remember that God provides, that God sustains, that God cares for his people, and that our reliance is not on ourselves and our effort and our work, but our reliance is to be on God himself. Finally, we see in the original institution of the Sabbath this instinct that God has to care for those who are marginalized, who are oppressed, the hurting, the poor, the outsider, the sick. In the command to follow the Sabbath, to keep the Sabbath and remember it and keep it holy, God doesn't just say, you all workers, you all who are in charge, you all who have power and authority, you take the day off. He also says, your servants get the day off, your slaves in the Old Testament get the day off, your animals even get the day off. The cows get to just lay around. I mean, I don't know what else cows really do, but they also got to to just relax. God was instituting a moment of restoration, of rest, especially for those who had no authority or autonomy. If they were told, a servant was told, go here and do this, go there and do that, it didn't matter how their day was going. It didn't matter how hard they had been working. They had to go do it except on God's day, except on a holy day, a sacred day of rest when even those with the least amount of power and authority in the culture and in the community got to rest. And it's for this reason that Jesus finds the practice of the Sabbath in his day so upsetting. Jesus enters into the synagogue, it tells us in Mark chapter 3, and he sees there a man with a shriveled hand. And everyone around him believes it's the Sabbath. This healer can't heal him on the Sabbath or he'll be breaking the Sabbath. And the Old Testament even says if you break the Sabbath, you could be punished by death. And so they stand back, it says. The Pharisees are watching to see, what's this healer going to do? Is he going to break the rules? Is he going to do work on the Sabbath? And it tells us in Mark 3 that Jesus looks at them with anger. Well, why? Because they had taken something that was a gift from God for the purpose of growing people's faith in God, restoring people, and pointing to justice and life. And instead, they had turned it into this complicated, twisted thing that piled up rules and regulations on all the people of God and made them feel beat down, made them feel like they couldn't measure up. These rules and regulations designed to lift up those who appeared religious and beat down those like Jesus who deigned to break the rules. You see, they not only had started to not work on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders had started to add layer and layer and layer of work 
I'm sorry, of rules around what counted as work. There was a certain number of steps you could take on a Sabbath day before it counted as cheating. And in fact, if you created a domicile, a little home for yourself somewhere, that could be your Sabbath home. And then you could take a certain number of steps one direction and a certain number of steps another direction. So people would be homeless on the Sabbath and position themselves such that they could get to their main house and to the marketplace. They created all these silly rules and then created silly workarounds and loopholes to get around them. Do you see how that works? They even had rules about how many times you could chew. They had rules about what you could do to bring healing to people. They said that doctors could bring some amount of healing or, or uh, help to someone who is sick and comes to them, but doctors weren't allowed to make medicine on the Sabbath because that was considered work. Have any of you read in John chapter 9 where Jesus does one of his strangest miracles? He sees a man who is blind and he stoops down and he spits in the dirt and makes mud, and then he takes mud and wipes it on the guy's face. And I always thought to myself, what? That just seems mean. I, I mean... I think I'd still be glad to be able to see, but if that guy saw you heal someone else, like, be healed, I'd be like, what? I got mud spit on my eyes. You could have just said something, right? Well, the reason Jesus does this in John chapter 9 is because, you know what day he does the mud thing on? The Sabbath. He makes medicine out of spit and dirt to show them, look, I'm going to break your human rules. Because why? The human rules existed for one clear reason, and you see it in every instance of the Pharisees showing up in the story. The human rules exist to take a day that was supposed to be about putting away human effort and relying on God and turn it into a day that was all about human effort. All of a sudden, rule-keeping became the new work and making sure that you counted your steps and you planned ahead and you did everything down to the the dot of the I and the crossing of the T. This was the work of salvation. This was the work of righteousness. They took a day of rest and turned it into a day that loaded people up with work that they could not carry. And so a day that was designed to focus people's attention and faith in God instead turned into a day to pat yourself on the back for being holy and righteous or beat yourself up for failing to live up to human effort and expectations. They had twisted it. And then in this moment where there's this man standing before Jesus with his hand curled in on itself, a man who had probably suffered with this affliction for many, many years, And Jesus looks and says, look, this is a day about restoration. This is a day of rest and refreshing for animals, for servants, and for those who are in need of God's healing touch. There's actually one of those rules, one of those regulations that had been created around the Sabbath that said that if your animal happened to fall into a hole or a pit, it was good and right to go and rescue that animal on the Sabbath because it would be more work for the animal to suffer than it is for you to go and pull the animal out of the crevice. In Luke 13, when Jesus is confronted about his habit, his pattern of healing on the Sabbath, Jesus points to this rule and says, you hypocrites, you're willing to go and rescue an animal out of a crack, but you turn a blind eye to those in front of you who are suffering because you're too concerned with patting yourselves on the back with following all your religious rules and regulations. It's not just that the man there has his hand curled in on itself, but the Pharisees, The religious leaders, maybe even some of the followers of Jesus, have their hands so tightly curled, holding on to their control, their power, their authority, expressed in their ability to follow all the rules so that they can please God, right? 
And Jesus stands before them and sees this man whose hand is like a perfect illustration of the nature and spirit of the hearts in the room at the moment. And he says, what's better on the Sabbath day of trusting in God and restoration and justice? What's better to kill or to give life? To heal or to curse? And then he stares at them. And they don't say a word. They miss their opportunity to have their hearts set free. And instead, they choose the slavery, the enslavement, the entrapment of the law. Jesus heals the man, his hand uncurls. And Jesus will do the same for the hearts of his disciples. Just earlier in the same book, in Mark chapter 2, the disciples are walking through the field on the Sabbath, and they begin to pick little bits of grain to eat as they go, as they do this ministry of the Lord. And this is dead set against the rules. Again, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, what's going on here? Your disciples are openly breaking God's law. And Jesus says, well, first of all, I'm God. Nice to meet you. I'm in charge of this. Uh, it's not quite, that's the Aaron translation. But in Mark 2:28, he says, isn't the Messiah even Lord of the Sabbath? Mark is revealing again, here's who this is. He, it's not like Jesus is saying God's law doesn't matter. Jesus is God and his authority over the Sabbath and the way it's practiced. But in verse 27, in Mark 2:27, he says something so powerful. He says, man wasn't created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man. He says, you, won't, you don't exist to follow the law. You are not just a, a robot trying your best to, to follow what God said so that then someday you can be told you're good. No, the God's law was given to you as a gift to help you experience life and life to the full. And they had taken that gift and they had twisted it and manipulated it and changed it such that instead of giving life, it was stealing life. Instead of restoring and healing, it was keeping people from healing and restoration. Instead of being about faith in God, the Pharisees would kill God himself. They would put Jesus on the cross because he deigned to violate their rules as he followed God's rule. So what is the Sabbath all about? It is God's invitation to trust in him, to experience healing and restoration, to participate in justice and helping those who are worn down, beat up, and in need experience freedom and rest. And when it's turned into something instead that is a religious law and regulation, it just gets to be such a weight on our back we can't sustain it. So the answer to your first question on your page is pretty simple. Do we, in order to be obedient to God, need to strictly follow the Sabbath still today? No, we do not. Jesus has released us from the strictness of that law. He's given us freedom, and Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, let no one beat you up. Let no one enslave you again. Let no one make you feel bad because of special rules about a Sabbath or a new moon festival, because you have freedom in Jesus we have freedom from so strictly following that law. We have freedom from the law that was meant to give us life instead driving us into death. We have freedom through Jesus Christ, freedom from that twisted expression of the Sabbath. But I want to point out, you also have freedom to experience the Sabbath and all that it was meant to be for you. This morning we can hear the story of the man whose hand was open. And perhaps some of us in this room share something in common with the Pharisees and need our hearts to be open from our grip on the law and our desire to follow things so carefully. But it's not just religious law-keeping that can trip us up in this regard. It's not just the law of the Sabbath that could have us trusting in ourselves and human effort to build our identities and our sense of being good enough. I actually think in some ways, 
America has been shaped by Christianity's ability to move away from that strict, regulated practice of the Sabbath. We've kind of run the other direction, haven't we? When's the last time you had a real day off? I mean, a day where nobody from the office could send you an email or a text or give you a phone call, where you didn't feel like at any moment somebody could call you in and you'd have to put out a fire, where there wasn't something with your family happening that required you to kind of be on and focused, where there wasn't schoolwork to be done, kids in the room, where there wasn't housework to be done, where there weren't things to worry about and attend to, and seven or eight, ten things that are still on the to-do list that you never quite get to done. When's the last time you felt that rest? I think you and I, instead of gripping hold of that religious practice of Sabbath, we may be more in danger of gripping onto a law of productivity, a law that says that we are only as good as the last thing that we did, that would have us feel kind of bad, guilty, maybe even gross, or, or not sure who we are if we allowed ourselves to have a day off that was like what the Sabbath was really like. A day off that wasn't just an excuse to get work done in some other arena. We don't have work today, it's time to work on the car. We don't have the kids today, it's time to finally get the finances in order. These kinds of things that we constantly are doing, right? I just heard someone talk about planning to get on a vacation. And you know how they planned where they were going to go on vacation? They found somewhere where their cell phone literally would not work. Because that was the only way they believed their boss wouldn't try to call them on their vacation. That person had mentioned that they got an email at 3 in the morning that the boss expected to be answered almost immediately. This is the world we've elected for ourselves. Constant connectivity, constant activity, constant busyness. Even our efforts toward recreation and self-care, even our rest, oftentimes becomes performative, doesn't it? We have to go somewhere cool or fill our day off with some social activity, with enough friendships and connections, with some destination or some special food that we can take a picture of and post somewhere on the internet. There are people who make millions of dollars selling you a picture of self-care, of Sabbath, that is really just yet another law, right? We can follow all these strict diets and workout plans, and you've got to kind of have like a PhD in chemistry to be keto now, all these kinds of things. And instead of finding true and genuine rest, instead of experiencing actual freedom, even our moves towards self-care are yet another move in the direction of the law of productivity, of defining ourselves by what we can do and relying on ourselves. And so Jesus has liberated us from that religious law, but he's also freed us to experience real freedom in him, real rest in him. Real reliance on him. The freedom to just enjoy him and his word and time with our friends and uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Time to enjoy the good things that God has given us. Maybe it's just okay to have a nice meal. Or just to sit and enjoy your backyard. To read a really great book. Or to go home and take a nap today. And there will be a part of most of you that says, well, I can't do that because if I do that, I won't get this done. And Ultimately, what you're saying is if I don't get everything done, then that little part inside of me that feels like I'm okay is going to crumble into pieces. But let me assure you with this, and this is the answer to your final question. Does following God's law make us good? No. Does following the law of productivity make us good? No. The gift of the gospel is that it tells you you're bad. 
And that no amount of striving to follow some Pharisaic religious law, no amount of striving to follow some law of productivity at work or at home, no amount of striving to measure up to some influencer you see online, none of that will lead you to being good. None of it will ever be enough. None of it will ever fill you up. Jesus came into this world to be good, to be enough, to be perfect and righteous, to die a vicarious death, a death in our place on the cross, and then to raise to life so that we could have access to the righteousness, to the goodness that is his. It doesn't become ours, it's his, and we enter into him. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus. Jesus is good and we are not. And that's what can liberate us and free us from that law of productivity. Nothing you do or don't do today changes your identity in Christ. Not strictly following the Sabbath, not strictly following the law of productivity. You can have real rest in Jesus because Jesus has accomplished everything you could ever try to accomplish and you would fail, but he succeeded. And so you are free from the law of the Sabbath, but you are free to experience real and true Sabbath true rest in Jesus. So does following the law make you good? No, but this law is good for you. And so let me encourage you to believe what Jesus says in Mark 2, 27, that you weren't created for this law, but that this practice of Sabbath was created for you. God gave it to you as a gift. Turn away from the law of productivity, of work, of measuring up this week. Find times and moments, maybe it's a whole day, maybe it's little chunks of days, to sit, to rest, to ignore everything that's beeping at you and everything everyone else wants from you and needs from you, to remember that Jesus is enough and he will provide. To remember that it's not your efforts but his that make you who you are. To allow Jesus to heal and restore the parts of you that have gotten worn down, broken, and fragmented. And even to experience the liberation, the justice that God created the Sabbath to bring. Let's experience that together this week in and through Jesus who makes all of these things possible. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you do not enslave us with yet another set of rules and regulations with laws that would keep us bound up in human effort but instead invite us into faith, invite us into truth, invite us into life. I pray, God, that if there are things that we're holding on to that we're clenching in our hearts our identity is built on something other than you, that you would do in our hearts what you did to that man's hand in the synagogue thousands of years ago, that we would be able to extend those hands and let go of those things that would take your place. I pray, God, that you would free us from religious obligation and duty, but that you would free us to experience real rest in you this week. I pray that you would take our simple, humble lives the good things and the broken things we bring before you and make it something beautiful, something powerful, something meaningful. This is work, God, that only you can do. And so we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.